0: listening to Battle Preach, a weekly podcast talking about all things theology, philosophy, culture, and uh, church history, and just all the interesting facets of life. I'm Brian, joined by my co-host Paul, and uh, coming at us live from Hillsdale College. That's right. And uh, we're going to be uh, starting our C.S. Lewis series. We did a, another series on C.S. Lewis on his book, Mere Christianity. You can check that out at the Four Oaks Midtown podcast. That was our last home. But obviously, if you're listening to this, you've realized that we have moved to our own channel. So make sure you subscribe and uh, yeah, leave a, leave, a nice, leave a nice review for us. But uh, the book we're gonna look at is the book Miracles by C.S. Lewis. And uh, this is a great book. It's a long book, but uh, it's a good book. And uh, it's not that think I think, uh,
1: I think this, just, this just says more about you than uh, anyone else here, Brian. What
0: are you talking about? When I look at it, it's like three hundred <clears throat> some pages, uh, 294. Wait, really? What version do you have? Is it like child's well, print?
1: Like old people print? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, old people. That's offensive. Yeah, for a geriatric audience. Um, Mine's like one hundred fifty pages. Really? Are the is the mm-hmm. font like the size it's, of a?
1: It's single space. Dust. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> single spaced. Well, okay, but I so I have a C.S. Lewis collection where all the books are made of the same like material, and this one's the longest uh, of them. So there okay. you go. But uh, all right. this is probably his. I feel like this is his most philosophical work. What do you think, Paul?
1: Either this one or Abolition of Man. Hmm.
0: That's one where he talks about what makes Relativism a good philosopher. Stuff. Paul, what makes a good philosopher? Tell us. In your Mm. in your in your lofty opinion
1: if i had a good answer to that i probably wouldn't be a good philosopher
0: what does that mean i don't know if i had a good answer to that (laughs) yeah you said i feel like i feel like this is in a movie whenever you like hike a mountain through the snow to look for the wise sage sage. yeah (laughs) and you look and you look at the sage you're like sage can Hmm. you give me wisdom and you're like yes you like put up a mirror and it's like but that's Hmm. just my face and you go exactly the no. wisdom is inside of you, and I'm have like, what? The- <laughs> <laughs> and then you sell me like you sell me like like merchandise, like welcome to <laughs> here's a here's a coffee cup.
1: Have you seen a uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? I know this is no. extremely nerdy, but have. They have this like supercomputer oracle that all of human like it, it can answer all of humanity's answers, and so like they finally get to it, and they're they want to know like Looks what like the 42? meaning of life is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the answer is forty two. Yeah, that's that's what I do. Just well, pseudo-profundity.
0: C.S. Lewis, I, he actually says in this book that he had a background in philosophy. Did you know that? Uh, I think he, yeah, undergrad, right? Something like that. Because he got his doctorate in medieval, mm-hmm. medieval literature, literature or something. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's amazing. I mean, you reread uh, Lewis and you're like, this, this this guy knew his stuff. I mean, he's just a very sharp mind, but also incredibly... Winsome and and the way that he writes is just so easy to read, but it's profound. I mean, I'm like, there really is anyone like him. I don't think.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think every time I try to, yeah, Lewis really is of the 20th century. I think probably just the greatest Christian author, and I, I will I will defend that to my bloody death.
0: What about T.D. Jakes?
1: Oh, man, you're right. Haven't considered him. Yeah. Or yeah. Uh, <laughs> come
0: on, come on
1: Paul. <laughs> there were a couple others I was going to throw in there, but I don't know how spicy we want to no, get. No,
0: We'll stop shoot with T.D. Some, Jakes. Shoot your shots.
1: Joel Osteen, Brian Zhang.
0: There you go. There you go. There you go. But uh, Paul, people, our viewers can't see this, but Paul, oh, I see that you've decorated your office, Paul. You put a single picture on one of the walls. What is that, a picture of a dragonfly? <laughs>
1: it's actually a Japanese painting of a flower it's made in a specific Japanese style and it was there last time you just didn't see it
0: look at you trying to retain your manhood and your dignity by saying that sentence (laughs) (laughs) it's just a Japanese flower (laughs) where'd you pick that
1: out of Uh, it was given to me as a gift by another professor actually
0: Mm. he gave it to you he's like Paul this is what I think of (laughs) you (laughs) as You're kind of like a Japanese flower, just it's fragile like, and dainty, and you know,
1: and not white.
0: <laughs> that would be awkward if he said that to you. What would you have said if he was like, "I gave this flower to you because it's awkward, dainty, and not white"? <laughs>
1: be like, be like uh, you know, I'll I'll take it. Hillsdale is an interesting place, so you got to take what you yeah, can Paul,
0: get. Paul, you you increase Hillsdale's uh, minority population by one hundred percent.
1: I do. It's not. It's not quite that lack of diverse but it is pretty white
0: mm.
1: it's south michigan well, that's just what you get here
0: them, you're making them woke and that's what that's what they sent you up there for
1: <laughs> that right. is not true i'm gonna lose my job
0: because of this i thought <laughs> <laughs> you had tenure no <laughs> no i know i'm many years away i know your your job is as fragile as that japanese flower behind you
1: if you're gonna keep but, uh, I'm, I'm just gonna point out you've got like a super effeminate phrase on the back of your wall too.
0: What are you talking about? Clear Power. eyes, full hearts, can't lose. That's from a football TV show. I know how macho, it, masculine can you get? I and think it's my Japanese into flower. flower.
1: Is that oh, wood? It looks oh. like construction paper. No, it's wood. It's wood. Oh, okay. Well, come on, come my on, Japanese man. flower is more cultured than your horrible that was daytime my television. In
0: high school though, Japanese flower, <laughs> and I was like, I'm Chinese. That's offensive. So anyway, okay, enough Uh, chit chat. Let's get down to business to defeat the Huns. Uh, (laughs) The scope of this book, we're going to look at two chapters at a time. So it's going to equal out to about eight episodes. And uh, we're going to just chat through some of these ideas. And uh, one of the reasons I thought miracles would be a great idea to read is uh, it's relevant for today, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of people have a very skeptical mindset when it comes to not just the claims of Christianity, but I think any kind of claim for the supernatural. But what's interesting is in our culture, we, we are very skeptical of, of organized sort of religion, but we still have this space for spookiness like ghosts or like energy or something like that. (laughs) Um, But I think Lewis touches on a lot of things back when he wrote this in what the 60s or 50s maybe 50s i think 50s yeah he's he sort of touches on some ideas that are modern for him contemporary ideas for him that in our day you know over half a century later we're starting to see those ideas given full bloom and permeate our society and uh, so I think what Lewis does a good job of is he makes you, he, he gives skeptics a reason to be skeptical about their skepticism, <laughs> you know. And he doesn't really say that this is a slam dunk argument for God, but he, he does poke holes in the kind of arrogance that people who are, uh, who are naturalists or people who believe that the physical world is all that it exists kind of have in their position. And Lewis is writing at a time when science and technology is really amping up and and there's a lot of new discoveries being made. And there's a new kind of hubris where people think that because of this elevated scientific knowledge, we can sort of dispense with the traditions of the past, including Christianity in any kind of metaphysical reality or or, or something beyond reality, the physical world. Um, And He begins his book with a quote from Aristotle, from his book, Metaphysics. And it's this quote from Aristotle, those who wish to succeed must ask the right preliminary questions. What do you make of that, Paul?
1: I was just going to say that uh, the work miracles, his book here is a ground setting book. He's not really trying to argue for miracles or argue that God exists or anything like that. But it is more of just like a stage setting book. And he wants us to like step back from some of our assumptions about what we think is possible. Like whether or not you think miracles are possible is gonna depend on what conception of the world you have, what worldview you have. And so he wants us to take a step back from that and, and ask those preliminary questions. What is the nature of reality like? And so if we can get a little bit more clear on that, then hopefully we can get closer to a more productive conversation about miracles. But if you just have like an atheist and a Christian get together and argue about miracles, they're not going to share the same assumptions. So in that case, um, it's not uh, it's not going to be super productive. So this is like Aristotle saying, step back, ask the preliminary questions. And so uh, hopefully we can we can do a little bit more. We can get more progress that way, especially if we're talking to people who are skeptics or don't share the same sort of assumptions that we do.
0: Well, most people, when they talk about miracles, they, they say, well, I'll I'll believe it when I see it. Right. If you, if you show me a miracle, um, I remember there's a story uh, about a professor who was like, you know, if God is real and I drop this piece of chalk, it won't hit my (laughs) shoe. And then it like missed his shoe or something weird like that. And it's like, that's not dead. Yeah. What's that? God's not dead. (laughs) Yeah, like a God's not dead kind of thing. Uh, But Lewis says this, the the question whether miracles occur can never be answered simply by experience. And he uses this example where he says, there's only one person he's met in his life who claims to have seen a ghost. And that person was an atheist, right? Uh, She didn't believe in an immortal soul or or an afterlife. Um, And so she saw the ghost, but she immediately said it was just an illusion or a trick or something that her mind concocted. In other words, just experiencing something that could be miraculous. It's not just your experience. It's also your interpretation of that experience. So if you don't believe that there's a supernatural world and something spooky happens, you're going to discount that it was a ghost and say, there must've been some natural explanation. Mm -hmm. So you come every, come to all of our experiences with preconceived notions about what's possible. And you know, that's what Lewis says. He says, what we learn from experience depends on the kind of philosophy we bring to the experience, right? And so you really have to decide are miracles possible before you can even examine evidence about miracles. And that's yeah. a, a very interesting way of approaching the topic, but it makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's
1: I mean, one question to ask is whether or not, Miracles are possible. Another question is, and this is actually interesting because I was talking to my class about this this morning. We were going through David Hume's famous argument against miracles. So, David Hume, Scottish philosopher, father of kind of like skepticism, gives the argument that even if miracles are possible, rational people should never believe them on the basis of testimony or on the basis of our experience, because our experience can be fallible, we could be mistaken. People are likely to deceive us or be sincerely mistaken when they report a miracle as well, and so it's a very uh like it's just a very it's very difficult to justify believing a miracle given how uniform nature is and given how out of our um experience miracles tend to be so like should you trust that a dead man rose from the dead, or should you believe that this individual is sincerely mistaken, or perhaps there's some other naturalistic explanation you sh- you can give. So when you're weighing the probabilities of what to believe, uh, even just accepting that a miracle took place, like that, that's it's a big skeptical challenge. And and it's, so it's not just whether or not miracles are possible. It's even if miracles are possible, like when should we believe them? Like what what would a rational person do when presented for evidence for a miracle? How do we like navigate that that water?
0: So it's not enough to just say that miracles can happen right why is that
1: because even if miracles can happen you have to ask the question from like the first person if someone presents me with evidence for a miracle even as a christian even as someone who believes in god i don't automatically say yeah okay i believe you i believe you when you say you're right so so how do you even if you establish one the world has a supernatural dimension Two right. miracles are possible. What do you do when someone gives you testimony that, a, that a miracle took place? How do you navigate those waters? And so when you, when you tell an atheist or a skeptic, Hey, this miracle happened, uh, they're going to say, well, okay, even if miracles are possible, why should I believe you that this miracle happened versus, you know, when Hindus give their miracles or Muslims give their miracles or, you know, the new age person gives their crystal miracle, right? Like, uh, so the, the the challenge from the skeptic is a really, really sharp one. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just trying to, to build the case for sometimes as Christians, we tend to go like, well, yeah, the skeptics don't really have like, much to stand on. But if you think about it, like, yeah, I mean, we're, we're skeptical of miracle accounts all the time. Um, I was going to say that reformed people tend to be especially skeptical if they're cessationists, but you know, Christians in general, like you don't accept every single miracle. account.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you hear about your friend who had a friend who had a friend who knew a guy who saw, uh, you know, a miracle happen in a third world country or something like that. And you don't want to be overly skeptical, but you're allowed to be like, well, miracles. I, I believe God heals people. I believe that God can do spooky things things out of the ordinary and i can also say i don't know if this is one of those instances <laughs> right 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 so it is true and and i think <clears throat> i mean man that's a hard thing you, you you would you would think that you'd see a lot more healings today mm, yeah uh and that's a hard that's a hard one you know yeah um what do you think lewis would say to that question about how do we if we, as Christians, we accept the miracles can happen, but how do we sort of sift through what we should believe is actually a miracle?
1: I think, and this is what he does in the first two chapters, really, it's that the the lens through which you interpret the world or look at the world is what, what enables you to see something as miraculous or not. So it's not like you can look at the world neutrally and sure. see a miracle and identify it as a miracle. Um, if you're a naturalist, if you're a skeptic, you're going to come to to the world with this assumption that uh, laws of nature are inviolable, they cannot be broken. And so if there's a seeming breaking of a law of nature, I mean, you can always get around it, right? Like you can always say, well, there might be some unexplained scientific phenomenon here, or the person was just mistaken, or how do we really know? Like, you know, the same kinds of responses that we'd give to when people report UFOs, right? Like there could be some natural explanation. It was just a plane or you were tired, or it was a little blue dot in the corner of your glasses, whatever. But if if you're coming to the world with an assumption that these things are possible, that God communicates himself through these things, then that helps you uh, see the world in a kind of richer way where you're, you're now not, not only are miracles possible, but I think as Christians, we're told to sort of look for them and to see them as evidence of God trying to reveal himself so Um, and so
0: yeah to the skeptics question of saying okay miracles are possible Mm -hmm. but how do you determine which ones are legitimate because it seems like you're just saying you have to first believe that miracles are possible what's step two that it's well it's
1: not just that miracles are possible but it's that if you come to it with a Christian lens, right? If if you believe that Christianity is true, then it will predispose you to see some things as miracles and other things as not. And so all I'm saying is that miracles or what we call miracles are little pieces that fit into larger puzzles. Mm. Um, And if if you don't have the larger puzzle, like that one piece is not gonna look like anything to you. But if if you do have the puzzle, um, then something like a resurrection makes sense. If it's in the context of this grand Christian story, or if God tells his people that, yes, I do want to heal your sick. If, if the elders anoint them, I do want to do all these things. Now we can see these instances with a kind of ready eye to say, yeah, God intervenes in the world. God communicates himself to people. And so I have no problem saying, yeah, like when you were praying for that, whatever, when like the George Mueller, the famous, uh, orphanage, uh, guy in, in the UK, crazy stories from his life of, yeah, the orphanage ran out of food. We prayed, and then that day, like a milk truck breaks down in front of the orphanage, <laughs> says we need to get rid of all this and donates all of it to the the kids in the orphanage. Like, that, is that God's provision? I guess so. Yeah, like, and as a Christian, I have no problem saying that, but that's because I I, I see that through the lens and backdrop of the Christian worldview. So I know okay, that so God it, wants it to provide. It kind of gives you a map.
0: It's sort of like a map it's it's sort of like if you go to an you know a park a state park and you just wander around you can see different individual, individual things but you don't really know what to look for whereas if you have mm. a map you know exactly what to look for and there where you go. are. Yeah, I think that's a good um, way of putting it. So Lewis says the word miracle he defines it as an interference with nature by supernatural power. So there's nature there's there's sort of the way things are and then there's an interference with that by a power outside of nature Mm -hmm. right um how would you define what a naturalist is because that's the that's the main group that he takes aim at in these opening chapters
1: yeah roughly you can say that a naturalist is someone who thinks all that exists is space time matter and energy and that which we can quantify via the scientific processes that we have Um, And so anything that is non-material, non-made of matter is not going to fit into that worldview. And so the easiest way to think of it is stuff that's in matter and part of matter, made of matter. And then you've got the things that are not material, not subject to the laws of physics, not subject to gravity, strong nuclear force, weak nuclear force, laws of thermodynamics, the electromagnetic force, all that sort of stuff. So traditionally, I mean, god angels souls if humans have immaterial souls pokemon digimon digimon the lesser famous of the pokemon but that's
0: right yeah Um, shout out digimon so uh (laughs) now he he, what he says about naturalism i'm I'm curious about your thoughts on this he says no thorough i love this no thoroughgoing naturalist (laughs) no true (laughs) naturalist (laughs) believes in free will for free will would mean that human beings have the power of independent action, the power of doing something more or other than what was involved by the total series of events. So it sounds like he's saying a naturalist, someone who only believes in the physical world, right? That, mm-hmm. that The only thing that exists are the things that exist in, in, in the physical world. Um, that if that's true, then there's no such thing as free will because everything's just cause and effect all the way through. Yeah. Is that, yeah, your name, no? I mean, does that make sense? Well,
1: I, I it, it's an argument that people make and and it's funny, both Christians and atheists make this argument. Christians will say, yeah, like if there's no God, there's just physical processes determining everything. And so you can't, you don't have the power to break the laws of nature and go against all of the universe's cause and effect. Um, and atheists will say, yeah, like if, if there's no God, yeah, then there's no free will. Um I don't I, th- I think that's where, and this is where I'm, as much as it pains me to say it, I think Lewis is just not doing a good job here. I think he just doesn't have a clear conception of free will in the sense that the Christian tradition has conceived of it. Um, so and I think this this does tend to get used as a popular apologetics argument, but I don't think it holds water. I don't think that um, the kind of free will that Christians have classically held, that we have is not uh, a kind of ability to break the laws of nature or do otherwise than what we did or anything like that. And this is where it gets technical pretty quickly. But, you know, we talked about this in our Calvinism and problem of evil stuff. But yeah, I think I think there's there's room for free will. That's not that
0: sort of very narrow, rigid. The key word he says here is that to have, he assumes that the only kind of free will that's free is the free will that is an independent action that is right, that is not uh, caused by anything else or, or something like that. Right. And I think what you're saying is no. There are other ways of viewing free will in which uh, you you don't need that complete independence, and your will can still be free. Right? Is that right? Yeah. And so in that way you could have a a form of genuine free will in a naturalistic framework. Right. Yeah. That's a technical one. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just
1: going to say even, even guys like Jonathan Edwards, for example, talk about free will as just being acting in line with your desires so that no external force is coercing you or manipulating you. Right. And if that's true, you want, right. Yeah. There you've got like a reformed guy who's talking about free will and There's nothing, there's no appeal to God in that explanation. But um, yeah, so I, I think Lewis, this is where he gets like, it is a more philosophical work and he does have some philosophical training and it is useful on the whole. I'll give all those caveats, but he does. I think he's a little bit loose and quick in a couple areas. And
0: this is one of them. So what if you're a Christian and you, you believe that miracles exist? How do you understand what a miracle is? you know, with our doctrine of sovereignty and in all of these things. What would you say to that?
1: Yeah. I mean, Lewis again here, I think, I think he leaves it a little bit ambiguous, but he says that he sort of has a, a very strict line between natural and supernatural where he says that these laws of nature sort of operate. And then a miracle is when God like comes into the picture and breaks one of those laws. Um, And now if, if you're, if you have like a really strong view of divine providence where God is, you know, think of like the, the classical view, Aquinas and Calvin and Edwards and these guys who, who believe that nature is not like some self-contained entity. And then God like comes into it to like poke around and do stuff. God is at every single moment, not just like upholding, but the primary cause of everything like, like. He is he is the force behind all of our actions and every he's single atom. He's the author. So if if that picture is true, um, like what is a how how is a miracle divine intervention? Like isn't the whole thing divine intervention? Like sure. one, one, one way to put the problem is like think about our author analogy, um, author character analogy. What would it look like for Tolkien to do a miracle? in lord of the rings right the whole thing is his story like nothing you would, would to exist write without in his pen
0: a miracle but then also all the normal things are written by him too but right. yeah, there could be a distinction i guess there are there are sort of ways the way things normally happen and then right a suspension of how norm, things normally happen yeah maybe that's a better way of thinking of supernatural versus i think so
1: and i, versus I think it, I, I,
0: I, you don't want to think that there's things happening outside of God. Right. Right. And that yeah. God only does stuff whenever something miraculous happens. Right. Because in God, we live and move and have our being. Right. It's right. Acts. Right. I mean, he every, every breath we have is by the power of God. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I just wanted to bring up that point to like push on. So, sometimes we think like miracle is a term that we use all the time. But do we have like a really good, clear conception of it? And sure. I think sometimes we don't. And so this is one way where, like, yeah, if, if you think that like all of creation is God's God's work, God's intervention at every single moment, then how do you distinguish a miracle from just that everyday uh miracle? And I think like what what you said is is probably the right way to go, to say that a miracle is is a departure from the way things temporarily or, or, or ordinarily happen. Um and I think two to add to that, it is for the expressed intention of revealing god
0: yes so god, that's very god, important
1: it, it's sort of like a jolt and like making yeah. things happen in a way that doesn't occur normally so it catches your attention and it's not just as an end in itself but to communicate something about god to reveal god so it's a jolting by grabbing our attention by suspending the way things normally go in order to communicate something about god to us
0: and if you look through the bible there's always a message tied to the miracles yeah. Mm-hmm. And if not, I mean, even Jesus says, I forget, it's in one of the Gospels where he says, uh, if you don't believe me, believe it based believe on the works. works that I've done. Yeah. yeah. And so there are signs of the kingdom but he's not just going around doing tricks. These are signs of restoration, little foretaste. He's, he's giving us a preview of what the kingdom, when Jesus returns, will look like. And right. so it has a larger purpose. So there's a, there's a way that God reveals his purposes and plans that comes through miracles. Um, and, and that's, that's, they have an important revelatory significance. Yeah. Um, he also says that the difference between naturalism and supernaturalism is not exactly the same thing as the difference between belief in God and disbelief. So, uh, it's not, it's not strictly a naturalist is an atheist, strictly. Um, it's not really God versus d- disbelief, but almost two kinds of belief where a naturalist can say, well, you know, uh, I, I I believe in a, you know, th- that, every, that, that, that sort, sort of like the idea of like the, the world or mother nature, like, like all mm-hmm. of nature itself is god and there's a consciousness that comes out of it so it's sort of pseudo spiritual kind of supernatural but uh lewis says the great interlocking event called nature might be such to produce at some stage a great cosmic consciousness an indwelling god arising the whole process as human mind arises from human organisms um but the idea is this that that this god does not stand outside of nature. He's not mm. transcendent, he's he's part of nature. Like if you can think like, well, God is all of us in harmony together. God is the world in its right place. You can say all these things, but your idea of God is still something that's tied to creation. Like th- if there was nothing, if there was no matter, if there was no creation, there would be no God, quote unquote, that you're talking about, mm. right? Yeah. But this is a Christian God is a God who's independent, right? Uh, that the Christian God transcends that the that there could be no creation, but this God would exist. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas if you say God's in the trees and the water and you know, whatever, like Pocahontas, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> then God is tied to creation, which means God is finite and which means God is dependent upon something other than himself. Whereas if God is transcendent, then he really is independent from creation, greater than creation and everything else is dependent on him. So on one level, on the naturalist view, God is dependent upon creation, but on the supernatural view, creation is dependent upon God.
1: Hmm. Right? Yeah, I think I think that's, that is also helpful that thinking about, you can carve it up and say supernatural, natural. One other way to think of it uh, is, like you mentioned, creator creation. And so there is, uh, we've got a created order and a created order comes from or stems from and is different from the creator. And so there's two different realities, but one is upholding the other. Um, so yeah, I think, I think Lewis's point is just, is, are are, are we alone? Or is, is there something more to the story? And is, is there something bigger? Is there something transcendent? And basically how you answer that question will impact what you think about miracles. And so, a miracle is not going to be evidence to someone. It's not going to be evidence of God's existence to someone who doesn't already have some of those assumptions or or backdrop in mind. Um, so notice that when Jesus came and did his miracles, he did so in the context of Israel, uh, who knew about prophets, who knew about the Messiah who was going to come, and so these instances of suspending laws of nature, uh, the jolt from the way things ordinarily happen and this communicative aspect of God's intervention made sense to those people who knew what God's activity in the world looked like. And so the the healing of the sick, the freeing of the slaves, the raising from the dead, they are miracles. They are suspensions of the way things ordinarily happen. Um, in a way that is coherent and makes sense in, in a larger story. It's not like Jesus went around making pink elephants appear out of nothing. Right. Like that would be a miracle. It would be like, yeah, na- that doesn't happen in nature. It wouldn't make any sense
0: though. It would have no right. Exactly. Yeah. context.
1: Yeah. So the, it's, it's the backdrop important. that makes it important or, or sensical.
0: And it, again, it, the, it starts with that Aristotle quote, you have to ask the right questions and the right que- And the questions you ask are, framed by the way you approach the world, the underlying assumptions that you have. I mean, we all assume things. We all assume that we're not brains and vats living in a computer simulation. We all assume the history is real and not just instant with the appearance of age or something like that. We all assume that other minds exist. I mean, there's a million things we can't prove that we assume to be true. Yeah. And with God, um, we ha- we cannot... Act as though we're these objective observers, that we're just looking at the facts. Because, like the story uh, or the anecdote he told of the person who met a ghost, you could experience a miracle and just explain it away because of your pre existing framework, that you already say that it can't be that answer. Right. Hmm. And that's a helpful way of leveling the playing field. Because I think sometimes people view Christians or even just people who are theists as delusional or naive, or they're just making things up or they're biased. You're biased because you're supposed to believe this. And the reality is we're all biased, right? And yeah. the naturalist is is still working on a set of biases and uh, and and they need to recognize that if they want to mm-hmm. be honest, right? Everyone's got assumptions, yeah. Right, right. And even Christians. And I think Lewis does a good job of challenging Christian assumptions too. Um, but it's a, it, it, this is really, I mean, and and the book just keeps getting better. I mean, he really goes deep into this and uh, talks more about how we understand miracles. And what I love is he gets underneath it. He's not just going, um, he's not giving, like you said, a bunch of proofs for miracles or anything like that, because he knows that actually the incessant looking for proof without addressing the underlying assumptions is going to be a fool's errand. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's sort of like, you know, being, it's like you're colorblind and you're looking for the color red. It's like, well, you can't even see red. You're never going to find it. And so if you, if, you, if you don't believe that the supernatural exists, you're never going to see it. You know? Um, and you can always explain it away, even if you do. Great stuff. We're going to be back next week with the next episode of this podcast. And uh, make sure that you share this with somebody. Leave a review as well. That really helps us gain some traction. But uh, read along with us. Uh, there are copies of CSUs that you can get for cheap the book Miracles. I think there might even be PDFs online. Make sure yep. you check those out. It's a great book, it'll really help you. And so will this podcast. So keep listening, subscribe. We'll catch you next week.